the opening and the music stopped and everybody looks at me. Uh, oh, <laughs> you're off the podcast, that's it. Out. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, joined by my usual Bond aficionados, Gordon Webster. He's literally wrote the book on it. Good afternoon, mate. Good to see you again. And Steve McCall. Good afternoon. And Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. We are here for another edition of the Bond Daft Podcast. Episode 6. Yes, it is episode 6. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Homs. Yeah. On Homs. Homs. Uh, less catchy. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's been a wee while actually since the last podcast. Uh, you only live twice. We are now going to be talking about a different actor playing Bond, which I'm pretty excited about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry, you can swear. <laughs> God, yeah. Jesus. A watershed moment. We've got we've quite used to Connery, haven't we? Five films really um, established himself. He is the like the blueprint, if you like. I'm looking forward to Lazenby. I think he's got a full career of Bond ahead of him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's just taking his time joke. between films, yeah. I think. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's been a wee while. So he's getting on a bit, but... Back after this, doesn't he? For one... Oh, it's a surprise. Oh, sorry. Or is it? <laughs> um, I see, I don't... I don't... I was trying to remember if, if this was Connery done for, or whether he came back, or whether it was just that... Um, what was that side movie that he did that wasn't particularly... wasn't considered canon? Well, that's in the 80s. Yeah. Um, that never was, seen ever again. Yeah. yeah. Which, actually, I quite like. But um, I'm going to miss... Connery, I think. Well, you've got one. But still, he's got one more. But yeah, but like it's almost like Doctor Who. It's like you get used to the Doctor, you get used to who's playing Bond. You get, you know, the it's um, Bond and Doctor Who are quite unique in that they are uh, something where they recast the character regularly. You know what I mean? It's uh, people have their Bond or their Doctor, don't they? It can be a hard yeah. thing to get your head around the actor changing if you're a sort of like traditionalist. I think because I get used to the films at a young age and I get used to certainly at the beginning seeing a lot of Connery and a lot of Moore, I began to accept in my mind that it was the same guy, even though he looked very different. And so it's easier for me now to maybe accept other actors. That's where I like the continuity of Bond, where, which we'll get into more with these coming films. <laughs> Do you know, Gordon, I meant to say, I was, um, I was watching my legally acquired collection of Bond films. And I was watching Octopussy again. I, I, I particularly like remember watching that a lot as a kid. And Roger Moore, right, Gordon? Don't you think Roger Moore is the funniest Bond? Like some of the stuff he does in the film. Like, yeah. It's and, and some of the stuff he says is so bad. Terrible stuff he says sometimes. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like some of the stuff Connery's done so far. And like you said in the first podcast, it's his delivery of these lines uh-huh. as well. Like there's a tiger that comes up and he's, he just makes it sit. He tells it to sit like a dog. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I've got a lot of love for Octopussy. We're not and you know, we're not that far off the, the Roger era either. A couple of films to go. Well that's the thing, like I guess I, I was interested in that because I was thinking that Roger Moore can make missteps or or it's not him personally, is it? He didn't write the bloody film, but like the era's different, like he'll say things that maybe are a wee bit sexist or racist, but it's a bit gentler than the Connery era has been so far, and I'm wondering yeah. if Lazenby... What do you it's think? starting to get diluted a little bit. I yeah, I, I mean, I, I was reading about George Lazenby and his approach to this role, and I think he actually just tried to emulate Sean Connery in this film. Was I think right? a lot of ways he did. Apparently he went to Connery's barber and said, I want the Sean Connery haircut, and he went to Connery's tailor and stuff. And the, it's the way he was actually cast. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't an actor. He was in a few adverts and that was how the producers noticed him. And he just kind of showed up unannounced at the 
you know, the what would it be the Eon Productions office one day, saying he wanted to be Bond, just kind of stormed into the room and refused to sit when Harry Saltzman asked him to sit. And they, they just, they really, they were taken aback, but they really admired his balls, man. And, and just, they thought, like, physically, he's not acted before, but, you know, physically he looked like Bond and kind of felt like Bond, you know. And apparently his, his attitude as well, you know, he became... I watched an interview with Diana Rigg, who he co-stars. I read a comment this, from Diana they, Rigg. They didn't really go, she didn't have a lot of good things to to say about Big George, and she said Big that George. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a big guy like Connery, you know, but six one, six two physically. You know, I got to say like he he does fit, and I think she was say, she was trying to say Diana Rigg that she kind of carried him through the film because she was an established and quite famous actress at the time from doing the Avengers and she was saying she kind of carried him through the film because he didn't really know what he was doing acting wise but so that's one thing that's going to be interesting the fact that a guy who's never acted gets thrown into one of the the biggest you know starring roles ever and well, it's, it's the first time it too literally Gordon like with the whole becoming Bond like I mean wearing the right suit getting the same haircut I mean it's lucky he wasn't actually going out and trying to kill people do you know what I mean I know <laughs> method acting taken to an extreme level yeah was that what he was trying to do was it was it just copying Connery or was it trying to be Bond was he trying to channel Bond or something I don't think it's so much that I think it I mean, some of this could be hearsay. Apparently, it became a bit of a prima donna making the film, and he actually decided during the making of On Our Majesties that this would be his one and only film. And amazingly, incredibly, his agent actually said to him, he was offered a six or seven picture deal, and his agent said to him, "Don't do it. Bond's like a, a dying art. James Bond's going to be gone in a few years, and we're, you know it's an era of Easy Rider and all these cool new wave of films. Don't do it." And he took his advice and only did one film but so the big thing for me is like first time we've changed actor you know how our audience is going to react to that for me on our majesties it's uh the reaction you know has been mixed over the years it's one of these films that it didn't do so well at the time but it's actually achieved a bit of a cult following and there is a lot of love for this film and this is actually this year's the 50th anniversary of course made in 1969 i think the budget was about seven million dollars this time did any of you guys see George Lazenby on the One Show a couple of weeks ago? No, no, no. He was on the One Show live. Interesting. Aye, I think he's humbled certainly over the years. How could we have missed that? I mean, given the fact that we're about to watch this film, I had no idea. Yeah. I I just noticed that I think you know I do that like no sorry no I didn't see it live I saw I saw it through the iPlayer sorry um or something like yeah the iPlayer and I was quite interesting like a lot of kind of older guys he rambles on a bit and uh, you know of course they have other guests you know they they need to cram it's a live show and they need to cram into half an hour and that woman Fiona Bruce she's like a a sort of news presenter isn't she 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 they're trying to do a wee pretend sort of question time with her hosting and so they could field questions from for the the audience to ask Lazenby and because he'd rambled on for so long they'd about one minute to do it and <laughs> only about one or two people get to ask quick questions but it kind of annoyed me a bit as especially as like a diehard Bond fan Fiona Bruce was like putting pressure on him was like oh come, come on hurry up George do this quickly and I was thinking you know this guy played James Bond for God's sake what have you ever done you know but you know, he 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 rambled on. I she probably had someone in her ear telling him, "Yeah, you need to get this guy." I know. Yeah, yeah. Aye. But um, 
And another and thing, I was just oh, maybe, no, maybe no, it was to do was it to do with the novel at all? It was to do with the fact is this the one where Bond ends up in the health club, like a health resort or something? Oh like no, that? you think you're thinking of Thunderball because that was the it's one you missed. Or never seen ever again had it as uh, well. Uh, it Thunderball was, a, was in a, a remake of Thunderball. He, I always remember he was strapped to something that made like, it look like he was shagging. Yes, <laughs> uh, we went to a table or something. <laughs> I would never laugh with that. Um, this, this, see right, this film. Yeah, let's talk about the general setup of this film then. What Spectre and things like that. Aye, um, Spectre, Blofeld, you know. <laughs> all that, all that. Um, all that stuff. Well, well, I was going to say first of all, uh, Honor Majesty's. Oh, I can't. It's such a long title, isn't it? Majesty's oh, WHS. It's uh, it's so. It's actually very close to the novel, probably the most close to Fleming's novels. That's right. This is Peter Hunt directing this, who was the editor of the prior films, uh, the previous films, wasn't he? And essentially, he had been sort of pushing to get the directing in the last film, and they promised him, you'll get the next one if you do the editing on You'll Live Twice in the second unit directing, and we'll give Mm. you the next film. So then that was obviously... He got this film, the sixth film. Yeah, but uh, and I think he was keen to put his own stamp on it, and uh, I I'm think that was he I'm intrigued to see because he obviously is a very talented director. The second unit stuff, you wouldn't know the difference from the stuff they shot, and I think he yeah. did more each film as well. And also his editor, Peter Hunt, oh, and I, missed, I, I literally as you started that point, I missed the name, so I heard so, all of the stuff, uh, but not the name. So, if, like from watching the commentaries and the bonus stuff of these last films that we've watched, I've been kind of doing that in the background and trying to kind of get a grasp of all these different characters that they were the main staples of the the original team that made the Bond films they are director and of photography and on for years didn't they that's why they say it was a family they, they, they changed the odd director like obviously uh-huh. um, Guy Hamilton came in for Goldfinger after two films when you had yeah. the director was um, maybe that's why the Bond Young. films had, had such a strong feel is because oh, there was um, a continuity with who was making the cast the you had Moneypenny returning each film um, for yeah. each film there was a sort of returning cast coming back uh-huh. and, and, and even in the crew that was the same which you never hear about and that's the sort of thing I'm quite interested in and Peter Hunt is, is apparently he kind of was a big influence on many films editing styles apparently he had a much faster editing style that most films at that time didn't have in the 60s mm-hmm. so it's kind of like quite interesting to hear his impact on like mm-hmm. what he, films probably took from him, which I didn't. You've never known. They must have done because I mean, yeah. Bond is a massive cultural influence for a lot of things, isn't it? Maybe in ways that are not immediately obvious. Do you know what I mean? Like there are probably other genres of film that are are made differently because of Bond. Right, they're not all going to be films about spies and killers, are they? But there's a certain way that they're done that's quite snappy and quite. You know, they jump from place to place, and I think it was, it was a lot of the action scenes. A lot of the time, they would use techniques that are now were copied for a lot and, and taken for the standard mm-hmm. and things like that. But you know, we we see it and we go, "Well, some editing was a bit, you know, it's not great, the substandard there." But I, that was because it was in the sixties and they were still finding a way. But he obviously you can pioneered. Kind of admire it though, can't you? Oh, certainly, like... certainly, and that's why I like to read and hear their thoughts on why they did this and why they did that. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's try and we'll narrow down kind of what we're pre- our preamble so we can actually get to the film soon. What else have you you want to talk about before this film that we should know about? Is there anything in particular? Aye, a couple of things. Um, first of all, 
see Goldfinger was the third film and it was originally planned that Honor Majesties would be the fourth one and I think the reason they didn't do that was because of all the, the legal scandal going on around Thunderball that Thunderball had to be the fourth one Otherwise, you know, there'd be oh, consequences from yeah. The they, worried, so, they were worried so about they how they it. wouldn't have the rights to Thunderball if they didn't make it right there and then. With I think so, or, help. or there would have been a big financial implication. And then, so they did Thunderball, and the fifth. Then they were going to do Honor Majesties as the fifth one, and they realised that they needed to go to Switzerland to to go up in the mountains, and there had to be loads of snow cover for the snow scenes. But because there'd been such a mild winter, they would hardly get any decent shots. So they decided to to do You Only Live Twice as the fifth film so eventually Majesties came around by the time Connery had quit so when you think about that the way fate works out you know Connery could well have been in this film mm. but the I mean there's a, there is a continuation there's a, a change in actor we, we finished You Only Live Twice quite a kind of it was a bit of a crazy film in a lot of ways and uh, when it ended you saw Blofeld blowing up the big volcano there but then you don't know what happened to him so the Honor Majesties begins with Bond as like combing the earth to find Blofeld. Um so um Bond's um absolutely he's basically doing everything he can to find Blofeld and he's not having much success and he happens to, to stumble across a, a sort of a troubled young kind of socialite woman called Tracy. She's like a countess. Her dad, it just turns out, is the head of a big European crime syndicate, Mark and Draco. And Bond just kind of um, ends up meeting them and it, it turns out that perhaps Tracy or her dad might actually be the key to Bond finally finding the whereabouts of Blofeld. That's, in a nutshell, that's pretty much what this film's about without without giving too much away. So, so Bond, all around fact, there's this sort of ongoing story. It's quite refreshing for older films, isn't it? This was quite new at the time, I would imagine, that there would be a continuing... Mm, maybe uh, an overriding kind of narrative going on with Spectre and I think the fact that it's based on books means there's going yeah. to be if that already exists that continuation is yeah. going to is going to be there which I mean it I seems that helps. almost like a sort of like what Marvel do now don't they like they have a long story obviously they've got lots more characters but I like the conti- I love things with continuity yeah big time I love the continuity with Bond okay I think we're ready to go then and watch this film uh, yeah, so we'll be back to give our spoilerific thoughts on on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oms. <laughs> And we're back, having watched uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, James Bond's sixth outing. What do we all think of this one, gents? That was. The the first thing I pointed out in the last podcast was how formulaic the films were getting, and that was a complete departure. So I found that really refreshing, if I'm honest. I I completely agree. This film's tone was so different from everything else we have seen. Uh, obviously, the actor change helped. Yes, that was a that was. A, I'm sure we'll get into that. But having yeah. someone new was it was weird at first. Particularly that very kind of meta reference to the fact they changed oh, right yes. during the uh, yeah. never the happened to the other fella. Yeah, during yeah. the pre- that was a weird breaking of the fourth wall. I did not expect which I, that. Which I liked in the, the way that he he actually looked at the camera as he did it. Did you notice yes, that? That was really he might as well. Have just winked. <laughs> like. Yeah, uh, Fran, what was your thoughts? Um, yeah, I thought it was a big departure as well. That being said, um, I did think they were trying to kind of tie it 
in the audience's mind to the previous films with the title sequence showing some of the parts from the previous movies. Obviously, the main villain being someone that was in one of the previous films, um, some of the musical cues, um, some of Bond's personality as well. I think I think there was, you know, there was some of the callbacks there, but it was a very fresh film, and I think maybe, uh, I mean, I'm going to say this fairly early on in the cast, it may have been one of my favourites so far. It was like a treat. I felt it felt like it was a real treat of a movie, you know, with the music and being quite surprised by what was going on, you know. Yeah, I agree with pretty much most of that. Um, there certainly was a lot to enjoy about this film. Uh, Gordon, you've obviously seen it more than us. What was your re- with fresh eyes again viewing it? Uh, yeah. What was your thoughts? I've not seen it a great deal. It's one of the Bond films I've seen the least. I think it's a very solid film. And uh, I just, yeah, I totally agree with every point you guys are making there. I need it's one of these Bond films. I need this film in my life. I need this this different <laughs> angle, the different tone we were talking about. It's you know we we talked during the film how it's in some ways it's it's more like a kind of romantic drama for a lot of it. The first third of the film, the first act of the film, is a lot of that just revolves around Bond and Tracy getting to know each other, and before a lot of the action really develops. And yeah, um, Bond, and like I said, um, they gave Lee's me a lot of screen time in this film, didn't they? He was every, I think it was, was it every scene pretty much? Apart from the very first scene when it shows you, uh, it opens with Money Penny and Q and, and M in the again, office, aye, which something. is an, again a different, you know, the, the films have usually started with some sort of out of context scenario where Bond's chase sort of following someone or in peril and it's setting up a sort of little story in its own this was a bit different you know yeah, uh, again was... everything was so different about this film it was quite interesting actually you pointed out with uh, the scenes with Q and M and Moneypenny because as much as um, as much as Lazenby said things like well what he said the one line this never happened to the other fella Moneypenny and Q and M and everyone else, like they all acted as if Bond was the same guy. Like Money Penny had that thing with Bond. Why would she be upset that he was getting married if it was just some new guy? Do you know what I mean? Like it was a kind of an interesting mix of nodding to the fact that the actor had changed, but also the characters were acting as if he was the same person. Exactly. I mean that's. Uh, the, the film that was them trying to kind of acknowledge to the audience look we understand we get it the guy looks different it's a different actor but just ride with us yeah and kind of i think that was their that was the approach they'd taken but heavily concentrating on showing the continuity in these films the title sequence did show previous villains largo appeared and things like that Previous characters were, yeah. were shown to sort of link the films and make sure, um, you know, Goldfinger and um, you know, basically all the the girls out of the first few films. You know, if you only have twice, and you Tatiana, you'd gold. Did I say Goldfinger? Sorry, um, you know, yeah, from the first five films. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so our general thoughts: we more or less all really like the film. Really like mostly its fresh appeal. Uh, where do you want to start with this? From uh, we've got you know we've got so much to t- take this take apart here. We're... In terms of how new this was, just to kind of establish, we're, 
sort of director, sort of di- the directorial, um, editorial. Have we got a new director, a new editor type thing? Is that because I'm trying to work out why yeah, it felt yeah. so different? We, um, it was Peter Hunt, um, who he had would sort of mentioned before. He is the editor from the previous films, so all of the films he edited prior. Yep, and he had been starting in the last two or f- sort of films to direct the sub team, like the. Um, the second unit, and obviously the flair for it, and realised he could he he'd been pushing by the fifth film to do the the directing, and they said, well, we'll let you do editing again in the second unit, but you can direct the sixth one. So that's the kind of story there. So this is first his first film at the helm, almost. I suppose it is it his first. I suppose it maybe it's yeah. it his first. It's Peter Hunt's first film as a director, first and only. And was it was it? actually John Glenn was the editor, and John Glenn becomes synonymous with the the Bond franchise because he became a director himself for five films, the longest running director from from for you only sorry for your eyes only up to License to Kill. So that's another another interesting thing about. It. I thought maybe the best another. Um, Good way to start is maybe just about Lazenby himself because I mean that's the most obvious thing about this yeah, film yeah, to the casual absolutely. fan. You well, know, before we jump on to Lazenby, a couple of interesting things I'm just reading here is that the novel was published after the film series started and contains some digs at the cinematic Bond gadgets, which is quite interesting. And also, Peter Hunt had impressed um, Broccoli and Saltzman uh, with the quick cutting style because we were talking about the mm. quick cutting style where we're noticing yes. this. Because there was missing frames almost, but that makes sense to me having read this now. Because we commented on that watching the film that that obviously that was ramped up a bit. That, but that seems to have been the st- the style they wanted for Bond. I think I get what they were doing. It did action scenes when you cut the odd frame can it can make the the scene faster and there's a bit more urgency to it. it. Makes sense if you're trying to get that across, especially to an audience that weren't used to that if that hadn't been done before. I think maybe in this one, it may have been overused a little. There was points where it didn't. It was a bit jarring. I wonder to what extent this is. It's the first time they'd ever tried it, so I thought, right, let's go completely over the top on that. They've probably looked and gone, right, okay, that's it's a start. Let's kind of build on that. So it's probably this is probably the, the sort of the genesis, if you like, of that style of cutting. Yeah. But it was it was noticeably almost from the start, yeah. very fast. You were going from camera to camera yeah. within matters of s- split seconds. But it was sight scenes where someone would be knocked to the ground and then immediately be on the on their feet. Yes, the, like it was almost like yeah. it wasn't cut into another scene and going back to them. It was like the the scene where they picked themselves up was just gone. Yeah, and it made it, it look more like there. The, the style of editing with it made it more like a, a real fight, a real brutal fast fight, similar to with Red Grant on the train from Russia with Love. And if we hark back to Thunderball, the two fight scenes, which I said were sped up, which looked kind of fake, you didn't get that here. You'd fast mm-hmm. fight sequences that looked real, I thought. And yeah. a lot, I would, I would praise Lazenby doing a lot of the stunt fight scenes himself rather than a stuntman. And, you know, again, just being having that athletic. Bringing that kind of aggressive, a threat, athletic, brutal side of Bond, which was very much part of his character in, in the books, you know, as a physical threat right, as well. Let's focus on Lazenby then for just for oh, a moment. Please. Then, so oh, Lazenby was was originally brought in because he was spotted on a, a Fry's chocolate advertisement. <laughs> And he oh, wasn't wow, even in it for in the bit I saw on YouTube. I don't know if the, uh, there's more, but it didn't. 
you didn't even see him for a long and I don't see why looking at that you'd think he'd be the new James Bond but I mean I think what took us what we were all really amazed at was it was like I mentioned at the start a guy who'd never acted before just how well he fitted into the part and you know the continuity was good and I'm he not was. sure where yeah. I'll let you you guys have probably got a few, the first few thought, more points about that. My first initially, just in the first few shots of him, I could see just from the there were certain moments where he actually looked like Sean Connery. Just yeah. uh, obviously it helps when you he's wearing the suit, um a you know, in a casino vibe and things like that. Yeah. Uh, that's he's got the hair pattern the way kinda Sean Connery and Doctor No had it. Um, so I, that helped that helped sort of yeah. the confidence okay this guy he himself had tried to emulate his performance on Sean Connery's style so that was all coming across and I, I enjoyed mostly that of him yeah you know they, they uh, just to back up your point there Steve like I think they as much as they were doing that they were also trying to kind of really underline the fact that he was Bond, like the scene where he threw the knife at Dra- Draco. Which was whatever. a great like, scene, yeah. Like, it was almost like there was a certain amount of scenes earlier on in the film that were just, like, punching you in the face and saying, this is James Bond. Like, it was almost like Bond 150%. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, just to kind yeah. of... But that died off as the film went on, but it was there at the start. Yeah, and he he brought a kind of sentimental side of Bond and he did it really well, which is it's worth remembering that Connery could well have been in this film, his fourth, uh-huh. his fifth outing. And the question is, would you like to take a a newly acting Lazenby on top form in the film that came out or would you rather have like a Connery like who had gone you only have twice where I'm happy with with that I mean I think Lazenby did a good job yeah because what I was going to say was you know do you you want that or do you want a kind of half-hearted Connery like he was in Uh You Only Live Twice which I think his charisma kind of got him through that film in a lot of ways but as I said I don't think his heart was really in, it, in that film no, you're right I, mean, I don't know if it was on air or not but I've spoke about when I um, with you guys after having done the podcast re-watching the films and the, with the commentaries and watching the bonus features and all that just to get a better understanding and sort of set another opinion on it after having done a podcast on it and his performance I could see why critics kind of picked up on that um, he had a sagging kind of feel to him he didn't I don't think he smiled once in the film not that there's maybe moments too but there was something about it that was a bit sluggish. Yeah, he said a lot of his lines with a bit of disdain, I feel. Yeah, he just looked a bit uninterested, and it's not what you want from your main lead character. Um, so that is something that I think would have just been even worse by this film, if yeah. that was the case. Obviously, his relationship with Broccoli at that point was, was well, there was no relationship. They weren't talking. Yep. Yeah. So I think they knew it anyway. They were looking for their next Bond in the middle of making You Only Live Twice. Um, and I think... From looks wise, Lazenby's got it. Voice wise, mostly, I think there was points where I wasn't it, the all the accent stuff. The, he kind of had a, a difficult role here. This is a difficult challenge. So he's yeah. essentially at some point in the film, two thirds in, he portrays this what was it, a kind of upper middle class type character, and yeah. Uh, he's doing an accent and he's he's kind of doing a lot that I can't imagine Sean Connery would have done like, like I said he's got a, a hell of a lot of screen time as well you know he had his work cut out of this film it's not just that it's the fact that maybe Bond has gone on the biggest journey he's ever gone on in this film from yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a character transformation perspective if you think about Bond being a womanising smoking drinking kind of guy 
who at the start, when he was thinking about marrying, like, there was this whole idea of him marrying someone for information. Is it going to be about the mission? But then he falls in love with this person, and he actually needs this this woman, <laughs> Tracy. And Bond never needed anyone before. Yeah. And the 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 character arc Bond has in this film is way beyond anything he's ever had in a previous movie at all. And to go from Bond the way that he was to Bond at the end having put himself out there and having loved and lost and, and the tragedy that he's gone through is really remarkable for Lazenby to have pulled this thing off. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, it's not like yeah. he just did a standard Bond movie. I mean, we would have respected him if he'd done a Bond, if he'd turned out a good Bond film, but this was... I think this, this role would have been a challenge for Connery. Definitely, yeah. All right, let's talk about the love story then. One of the main things about this. Yeah, that. I mean, that was a... Considering we've had five films of womanizing we've talked about how just how <laughs> sexist and womanizing bond is this watching bond i mean that i mean it was an incredibly cheesy montage you had every possible um cliche adam you know the the couple on horses taking romantic walks <laughs> by the beach through the forest laughing together it was it was really cheesy but you it was the contrast was enormous and it was so early in the film as well. It was yeah. just the juxtaposition, you know, the, the early It was building on it, films. I suppose. It, it earned that sentimentality that the Bond films uh-huh. haven't because it did show you from almost, you know, 20 minutes in or whatever, like, oh no, they're going to fall in love. And initially it comes across really creepy where it might be just for a mission, you know. Which is uh, the usual story. Which was yeah. kind of the initial setup, and then it sort of develops and it becomes, it, you buy into it. It actually bought into it. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the thing is that I think all of us, if we feel something for someone, like you need them to survive, basically. I think that's the fundamental fact of a relationship. You need someone, right? Yeah. And Bond needed this, this woman, and she proved that she was there to save him. Do you know what I mean? What's weird about the film is that it almost like it almost transcended its era in the sense that it had this long, protracted scene where Tracy uh, saved Bond from a situation and drove him... It drove the car, had no input from Bond. Bond, as you said, Steve, was a passenger in the entire sequence. But it also had a bunch of female assassins who were recruited off the back of their own neurotic <laughs> problems that they had and, and weaknesses, do you know what I mean? So it was almost like, I think, is this maybe the tipping point film where you've got some of the old kind of sexist views of people, but also... Uh, kind of... Um... We'll talk about the plot stuff later, all the, the, the hypnotic stuff. We'll talk about that as another subject. The actual love story part, um, and and the film being a sort of fa- kind of ahead of its time, I can kind of get on board with. If the film had stuck with the kind of courage of its convictions or whatever, you know, why does Bond have to sleep with other women in this film? He yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, back. that is where yeah. the love story almost it falters because so you, the, the, it's like, well, why couldn't they have committed? It's just this woman. And don't forget, say, a uh, few women in the course of the film and uh, a bit of a cuddle in the snow with a big St. Bernard dog near the end just before he's with <laughs> 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 so, like, uh, I think the problem just, is really that Bond, I think in this film, wasn't sleeping with the women because he needed to. But really, he just did it. He just he literally snuck out of his room it, just to go yeah. and sleep with this woman. Where usually kept, he would um, do it because there was a. But that almost is worse because there might have been a, a you know 
a I mean, manufactured reason to do it for his livelihood. Now he's doing it yeah. when he's supposed yeah, to be yeah. in love. But here's the thing. So it's kind of, it kind of ruins that. But here's the thing, Steve, right? Here's the interesting thing. Is it actually a true appraisal of the way that men can behave sometimes? <laughs> Is it actually quite well, an honest thing that some men just do bullshit things just because they can? Well, maybe I don't it is, think but that's you're the meant case to buy into the love story, so yeah. it's almost yeah. shooting itself. I well, think... Can't have both. This, <laughs> Suicidal love story. There's an, I think there's an expectation with Bond films, there has to be some gratuitous sex scene. So the directors, whoever's made the film, has gone, right, we need some of that somewhere. So they have thrown it in, but it's so noticeable this time around, because it is a massive departure from the love story. It's literally gratuitous because, I mean, I'll go back to this, when he sneaks out of the room and goes to sleep with that bird from Lancashire. Do you remember her? The one from Lancashire, Ruby. (laughs) There's no reason for that. And the, the only reason he picks up information from it is by sheer coincidence. It honestly could have they could have found a way to I mean I know I'm guessing that the, I'm guessing the book having been written after the, some films have been made that might have and, they, and I know Peter Hunt and the writer Richard Maybaum stuck close to the book as the source so maybe they've just decided to go with it contractually the Bond films sort of have always kind of you know it's almost unspoken, but there's at least three women he has to sleep with in each film. There's an audience expectation. I think they have to be mindful of that. That, I agree. I, I, I can, that's where I disagree, because this film was shown in so many other ways that it was different and, and kind of been different from the other films. And if they just, I think, took that step and been different on this one, it would have been even more a plot. I can, were they I can perhaps, appreciate it. Were they perhaps too scared to go too different? I know. Probably. Probably. But and, the thing is, though, guys... But it's a this long film. That, I mean, this film has been pointed out as one of the best of the Bond films, and if yeah. Connery had played Bond in this, it may have been the best of the series. Yeah, I, I think some sh- people... Yeah, I'm not, not sure. I don't, think, I don't think he would have sold... I think you mentioned yeah. this in one of our very first podcasts, Gordon, that you didn't think Connery had the sentimentality yeah. about him to really the... convince you as this sort of character who would fall in love suddenly, and especially after seeing him in Young Love twice. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of hard to imagine, especially like Steve was saying, the big love montage and so so early in the film. But for me, um, the Bond cinema franchise needed this in the same way as the the book did. The the um, especially you know just such a, a hard hitting ending, and it was it was the the love and the loss and how it affected Bond. You could tell it did affect Bond. After the film as well, in the books, he becomes a broken man after after Tracy dies at the end of it. And there's actually what I really like is the references. I love the continuity in Bond. I love the references to to Mrs. Bond in the later films, like um, Fear Eyes Only visits her grave, and License to Kill. There's a mention at Felix's wedding, and even the world's not enough. Electra King says, "Have you ever lost a loved one?" And he kind of dodges the question. This is you know decades later, and the yeah. one you guys, I don't know if you you were all big Goldeneye fans, remember. Remember, uh, Alec Trevelyan in the control centre says to him, if you can find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women for all the dead ones you failed to protect. <laughs> that, I think, I think that is a, is that a reference that to... That was a very good... Yeah. <laughs> I tried working my kind of half Yorkshire accent. <laughs> is that a kind of reference to Tracy? I, I think pre- so. I'm pretty sure it is. It's a, it was a watershed moment, you know, in the Bond series, you know, Bond falling in love, the, the way... And it's got shades of Remember with Vesper and Casino uh-huh. Royale well, as I've well. Got, I've got a specific question for you, Gordon, right? Now in the skating rink scene... You actually see Bond scared for the first time, and he doesn't know what to do. 
Yeah. yeah. What do you no, think? I feel like me on a skating rink. You missed Thunderball. But he was, but, well, there was okay. a scene where he, but he was, you could see him panicking. But like, yeah. <laughs> what do you, what do you guys think of Bond? When he shows that sort of vulnerability, I think you need to to almost distinguish these films from superhero movies. You uh-huh. need to show some humanity. He's not. Yeah. He's not got superpowers. He is just a person, and even the most yeah. well trained spies are gonna every so often panic. And that's what this film was. This was showing Bond as more of a human. This was showing yes. Bond Bond being vulnerable in the same way as you know Tracy was vulnerable. And it's kind of incredible. We, you know, the way in which Bond is introduced to Draco for the first time, Tracy's father, he's head of the biggest crime syndicate in Europe. He ends up becoming an ally of Bond. Uh, but you know, he's he's a great ally. Yeah, he's he well been. acted, yeah. And he he has a proposal to Bond. Bond is looking for Blofeld. And first of all, Draco says to him, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, my daughter, she's you know gone through a rough time. Basically, she needs a man in her life and all this. And he says, I'll, I'll pay you a, a dowry of one million pounds when you marry her. And Bond, you just admire the strength of character, Bond. Bond, Bond actually says, I don't need a million pounds. He's James Bond. He doesn't need a million pounds. This, you know, you can really, what guy would not want a million pounds? But, you know, again, at the end of the day, this is James Bond. Listen, he's a badass, said, you know. See if he's somebody <laughs> said to me to marry her and give a million yeah, pounds. I, know, I, I was yes. going to say that. Yeah, because imagine some, because remember the language he uses? He, say, he says, like, um, she needs a man to dominate her, to, to make love to her. Imagine, a, you know, a, a guy said, to you, I want you to marry my daughter to Domi. Actually, someone as gorgeous as Diana, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, like, Imagine I, that. I took a note of that line. She needs a man to dominate her, to make love with her enough that she falls in love with her. That's, I mean, that was... Yeah, uh, that, That's quite a line. Old-fashioned. <laughs> For a dad to say about her daughter, Listen, is, it just it, it jumped I, out quite a bit. I have, I have, in my own past, had um, the father of a girlfriend of mine, I'm talking like 15 years ago, Say something f- not like that, but like <laughs> dominate his daughter my daughter was very quiet. Um, do you remember Jodie, Steve? Mm. Um, I'm sure she'll appreciate Jody, it. <laughs> no, Jodie, we don't talk anymore. Top I don't now. know where she is. She's in America somewhere, right? And if you ever hear this, Jodie, whatever, right? But it was one of those things where um, she was quite quiet. She didn't go out. She didn't, you know, and, and he was like, I need someone to help her. Do you know what I mean? Like, in a sense, do you know what I mean? But it kind of reminded that I was reminded of that. I was reminded of the kind of like. I always felt her dad was quite old-fashioned. That sounds a, more like sense. help her come out of her shell, not yeah, but yeah. Like make he, love to her enough that she falls in love with you. But I think, yeah. I think, when you read between the lines of what he was trying to say, it was like uh, she needs to grow up in a sense. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think maybe that that uh, Draco sort of it was almost like bringing someone into the real world, but in a very kind of it's it's. I, I I shudder at using this word, but it's a, it's a problematic thing to hear, shall we say? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't think of any other way to say it. Now we're on that subject of kind of where you know attitudes have changed and and from the film's kind of viewpoint. Yeah. Let's kind of talk about where Bond has dated the new section. Uh, <laughs> I like <yeah>. the section. <laughs> the thing yeah. is though that Tracy did have to help Bond in the end. It wasn't Bond that needed to help her. Yeah, and she did. That's why she was incredibly brave yeah. thing for the film. And she, she, I, I, she's a great character. She I was, know, yeah. Like, you fall in love with her. You think I, she's I, a she, great character. Like, she was one of the best Bond girls. She was, you know, one of the strongest Bond girls. She, you know, she's very hands-on. Do you remember her taking on a couple of Blofeld's guys and and Peace Gloria, you know the big kind of mountaintop hideout that Blofeld had. This is when Bond and Draco 
basically go in there at the end in the helicopters to to blow the place up and try and free her. And she takes on a couple of the guys, you know, she you know, she knows what she's doing. She, you know, gets out of there and uh, a kind of troubled woman different and different from a lot of the Again, they've right. sort of shook up the sort of Bond female um, role, and I think that's something that the film can be credited for. I think yeah. she was great. Especially for the time. Yep, yep. Yeah. And I think as well, like, we all felt an attraction towards her character because she was someone who knew who she was and she knew yeah. what she was doing. And I think that even at the time, I mean, Bond uh, as a character acknowledged the fact that he, you know, he, he wanted to. Who did he want to marry out of all of the women he's ever seen in all the movies? That one. The one that was able to help him and save him and take control. And she was his, his match in many ways yeah. in those action mm-hmm. scenes, which were great, well shot as well. So Some of the best, I think, but, so far. Yeah, I would say so. The film certainly took... Parts of Bobsley. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the... We'll talk about them actually separately. We're still on the sort of where it's dated then. I think there was maybe a couple of moments. It was not as horrific or as uh, still the goldfinger one is still the one that i keep thinking of when i think god what the barn Uh, yeah yeah yeah. with this one it's bond himself wasn't there weren't many moments with where he did anything that was particularly outdated it was moments with other characters just little Uh hints obviously of the time um i mean the point where he was having dinner at the um allergy center or whatever the mountain range with all the girls and they were obviously they were all fed foods that they were supposedly allergic to and they were all they were all fed foods related to their ethnicities or like perceived <laughs> related yeah, yeah exactly so you had oh. the the indian woman in a sari eating a naan bread you had the <laughs> japanese woman, woman eating <laughs> yeah. rice with a pair of chopsticks and uh, the, the black woman oh, was eating God. a banana it was oh yeah. uh, uh, we all kind of went oh that's painful uh, i had head in my hands when i seen that i was really oh god what, what i mean i don't know if the book has if that was in the book and if there's any just justification for what was going on there but other just from watching the film that stuck out a little say bond traveled to like you know sub-saharan africa and he was with people in in a tribe somewhere and they were eating bananas or something right fair enough but he wasn't he was in a ski yeah, lodge in switzerland in asia or something and they were eating rice like china or whatever like people do in their own countries but like here's the thing that i don't understand right they were supposed to have allergies are these women allergic to the main thing that they would eat <laughs> like no, it doesn't make uh, any sense yeah, like, no. like it's not well it I'm doesn't sure make it any... be but it's just it's just such a crazy choice to put that on the screen like for a number of reasons first of all because it's so lazy but and and, and kind of a caricature of them but also because it makes no sense that they would be allergic to it came across a bit daft and the film doesn't normally have any humor in it there was this film was the least Hum- yes. humorous yeah, was, film I would say there wasn't any points where there's usually at least one point yeah. where we all start laughing uh-huh, I don't was, uh, think there was one this time around well, the only, best, actually just but... one Q's line uh-huh. at the very end <laughs> yes oh yeah yes. Um, what was that again I've got we'll, it written here yes, um, no we'll talk about Money Penny separately in a bit as well seven, never had any respect for government property yeah, yeah. A brilliant line but that is the only scene that I laughed at genuinely and not from a kind of like Bond did have about three or four one-liners, but they were all either delivered... Yeah, a lot of guts. Yeah. Delivered poorly or just a bit weak. That yeah. They weren't funny. And, it, and gen- generally, the film didn't really have any kind of... Yeah. Over- the film wasn't meant to be humorous. This That's the point. So it's not a, a kind of criticism a of it. Film. It's only when the 
shoehorning those one-liners that it's like a bit like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, he's doing the one-liner thing. It was a stripped-down film. I mean, they look at You Only Live Twice and the big doomsday plot. And like I've said before, you need to bring Bond back down to earth. It was more of a, a down-to-earth plot. There was daft elements to how the way and Yeah, I was going to say, the way in, the way in which he, he, you know, he, he just expects to brainwash these girls into is like sort of releasing, you know, viruses, you know, some sort of um, you know, chemical warfare, and which seems that's a bit kind of thin for me. It seems like, shoehorned in. I think the yeah. plot actually is one of the weakest points of this film. I think obviously it's a setup for all the different scenarios and things, but the actual background to it with Blofeld's pl- plot, I think it's a bit. That, again, that that probably comes from Fleming, of course. I'm guessing. Can I just before we move too far on, because you were talking about the humour there, um, I'm going to invoke one of the film critics I was looking at. Um, who said that Connery couldn't have played Bond in this film, and the film w- the, the film would not have been as good if Connery had played Bond because Connery had more of that, that sort of humour about him. Uh, Whereas Lazenby, Lazenby had that vulnerability and that kind of sense of the fact that he was in a world that was crumbling around him a little bit, that it wasn't funny. Do you yeah, know what I mean? And he couldn't yeah. be funny. He he didn't have it in him to be funny, and in a sense. I almost felt like his one-liners were half-hearted in this film. Yes. It was almost like he was trying to be Bond, but he wasn't feeling quite right about it, you know? And I, I think, think that helped the film. There's only so much you can do with an actor when they obviously aren't as experienced to bring... He had a hard task. There's nothing, you know, all credit to him in that respect. But, you know, you can make, you can look the part, dress him like the part, and make him say all the lines, and he can get by. He can. He's he's kind of a good physique. He can pull off the action, but there is a charm that comes with natural either experience or people like Sean Connery, and he didn't have that yeah. quite the same. Which is where I think he he falters a little. Within the first like, 10-15 minutes, they did manage to shoehorn in both Bond, James Bond, and the shaking not stern line. And, and the it, music, that, it, yeah, yeah. And have the same punch, maybe. No, is kind of it, that was almost just there to kind of remind people. Oh yeah, this oh, is yeah. this is yeah. Bond. By the way, I didn't think that was a bad Bond James Bond line, and I I liked the introduction of Lazenby. I liked the I've spoke before about the reveal when you have a new Bond actor and the the they use the the light levels really effectively. The yeah. dark, I think, it was meant to be in the morning when the sun was starting to rise at, at the beach, and they used the light very well. They kept his face hidden. They showed his hands in the steering wheel. Showed him in the mirror lighting a cigarette and I liked that they brought in this kind of swing version of the Bond theme which was good. I liked the, the reveal and I liked that, you know, the line about this never happened to the other fellow as well. Yeah. I thought that was good. I, I liked the reveal. I think it, it was nice because obviously they haven't done that since Doctor No because um, obviously we know Sean Connery and stuff like that so it was, that's their, first, their second attempt at doing it and I think that was quite appreciated, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I overall liked Lazy performance but you can see where it kind of, yeah, it wasn't all want, there. Do you want to hear a really interesting fact? This... This Bond film is Christopher Nolan's favourite Bond film. Yeah. And he tried to bring some of that um, oh, yeah. sense of this film into Inception. He is a massive James Bond fan. And to be his favourite Also, one? he is sort of... I think many critics have said the Dark Knight trilogy is essentially him trying to make as close to a Bond film in a Batman superhero version. Bond are quite similar in the sense yeah. that they're not superheroes, really. They're just normal men who have gadgets and stuff. But... I find it fascinating that this this particular movie would be Nolan's favourite because I've come out of watching this film feeling like maybe I'm not sure any of the rest are going to top this for me. I feel like this was the 
Wow. I almost like that is some I, love, I really love this film. Fr- like, Fran, wow. um, yeah, that I mean you're interesting. That is a really, really interesting take. I really like I really mean this. Like I didn't like the part about the female assassins being neurotic and having allergies and all that bullshit. And I, there's other things I don't like, but I think that um let me quote this here and I feel that like this is how I feel. Nolan said there's a tremendous balance in the movie of action and scale and romanticism and tragedy and emotion. And I, I think if Nolan feels that way, like I, that justifies how I feel. Like I watched the film. I, I, when I said it was a treat, I really meant it. Like as someone who writes and reads a lot, I really felt like this film had something. There was something magic about this film. Fran, you're not alone, man. I, I totally feel where you're coming from with that. It, it brought a you know completely fresh angle it for me, last, and it needs this, to be. A, this is going to be controversial, Gordon, but I think this should have been the last Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been. Yeah. The is this going to be your last pod? <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. can't take any more. I'm ending it now. Story. See if you look at all the Bond films up to now. Like, see if this was the final chapter of Bond. That final scene. You couldn't have ended it at that scene for good, could you? It was, I mean, that it was been the ultimate. You'd have to have a revenge film where Bond gets... had his character arc, he had his journey, yeah. he finally understood what it meant to need someone, and he finally knew that he wasn't, you know, he isn't a superhero. So you know, maybe that explains then why he just goes on uh, back to the usual womanizing and stuff like that. Yeah, there's no there's almost a justification. He's, there's you no know, he's yeah. It was, it. And then the ending was it was so hard hitting that right, you almost made let's the talk film. about it was like the, the end of yeah. the Sopranos. Now the Sopranos were yeah. ended just black. You know, it was like brutal. Let's let's focus on that then. So obviously, big news. Um, I'm, again, it's probably from the book, but Bond gets married, and you know. You know from the film's runtime, it's probably what, it was about two hours in by that point. So you know there's not much left to go. And then, or probably even more than that, because it's two hours and 20 minutes, and it must have been the last 10 minutes. Yeah, it was. And you just feel this foreboding sense of what's going to happen here? This doesn't feel right. It was all too happy. Because I I, I don't remember this film. Like, I've I've watched Connery and um, Roger Moore and all them. Over the years, but Lazenby's film, I've kind of dropped off for some reason. I always kind of skipped over it. I thought, oh, that's yeah. But I, 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 all the way through the film, you're going to back me up on this. Hopefully, I was saying this is a sad film. There's something weird happening here. What is going on here with this film? It did have a completely different feeling. You're right. It was more melancholic. All the music was minor key. It it definitely felt like it was building up to to that last scene, Tragedy. and you were going yeah. into thinking this is. It's the end of the film, you're right, this is the last 10 minutes, and it's too happy, because it was big celebrations, all the the old crew were there, M was there, Q was there, they had that great line about government property, you thought, <laughs> yeah. where yep. is this yeah. going? And then driving alone down that cliff, you yeah. did feel the sense of foreboding. Definitely. And you also yeah. had Q saying things like, like being a fatherly figure to Bond and saying, you know, I've always thought you were a bit yeah, irresponsible, yeah. but now you're finally being responsible, like being quite nice to Bond. Yeah. yeah, for me, there was a big character arc for Q, who he didn't have a great relationship with, and he calls him James as well. I, I you know, I had a tear in my eye in that scene. He kind of put, does he not even put his arm around him? He says, I know, I know we've never seen eye to eye. You know, that was the bit. And then, you know, throwing money penny the hat and money penny crying that. And, and I loved, you know, that, that was quite hard hitting for me I know and and Uh, with M as well you know it was nice to see M for me I actually feel I think I felt more I mean the ending was hard that is an amazing end but I actually felt so bad for Money Penny in this film that shot of her just looking at them as they're getting into the car tears kind of running down her cheeks 
Oh, and it, considering in this film Bond has a really flirty scene with her more than he had in the last couple of films and he even kisses her on the lips and all this kind of stuff and mm-hmm. talks about you know in a couple of weeks when I'm back from yeah. shore leave we'll get together and, and it sounds like that actually might happen this time it's not just a playful banter yeah uh, so yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting character trait Bond yeah. keeps keeps leading her on and, and it was a it was a, it was a shame. I felt so that bad. That was just yeah. another flaw of Bond. I think. I think that yeah. was, that this film was so honest about everything that's wrong with James Bond as a character, making Bond promises he can't keep. Kind of, yeah. Like you know, yeah. saying you know, he, he, because he so effortlessly gets on with women that they're disposable. But let's let's you know? talk about the final ending. And that obviously, scene was genuinely one of the most of this journey of Bond film so far. One of the most stunning points I've seen. That I mean, you could. You saw it coming when you see Blofeld's car and the what's the the woman the German Arma Bunt. that's her yeah her Bunt. in the the driver's you think right this is it something's gonna happen shotgun blast through the window and I, I suppose you don't notice she's dead first you've got blonde going oh my god it's Blofeld it's, it's Blofeld, Blofeld. yeah Blofeld. and it's it's the silence. The Quite science, often yeah, in yeah. Bond films, at particular moments, you get the music, but this she was dead. You saw the just the bullet hole through the window. And there was nothing, and that was yeah. probably the most impactful thing they could have done. Because yeah. it was, I, I felt a kind of quiver. I was like, "Oh my god!" And Bond's reaction when the the uh, was it a police officer on a bike that pulled yep. up just afterwards, and he's he's obviously completely dumbstruck, and he's going, "She's fine. She's 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 just having a rest." Yeah, and you're looking at him going, "Oh my." This, this, that's yeah. Bond. He's yeah. he has he's lost it. Any one of us would. I mean, my God. I mean, all of us have had stressful situations. But if your partner was killed, you feel that you. tragedy. You really, uh, really. And the way the way it ended as well, showing just, just showing the just bullet uh, hole yeah. and the windscreen, and then it just comes up and it went into the Bond theme. You know, it yeah. was that that is a new way to end a Bond theme. I think the series needed that at that point. It was and that's something that's think... always going to live with us. We talk about the later uh-huh. references to Bond's marriage, and that's something Bond's always going to be haunted by that, I well, feel. Well, I'm going to stand <laughs> by this best Bond film, I think. Wow. Fran, honestly, Fran, like I said, you're not alone. Honestly, there's a, a lot of love for this film for those those exact that, same reasons. Yeah, like I, a, I see where you're coming it from. It felt honestly. like them trying to course correct from the sort of the critics sort of saying, "No, you, you only live twice." Was formulaic. It was getting silly. It was cartoonish. All of those things. Is like right here is our reaction to that. <laughs> take and that. Here, take this. Bond is was, a romantic. Yeah. Bond is sentimental. Here, Gordon, do you want? In fact, you'll find this particularly interesting. But here's my head cannon from now on. Right. Mm-hmm. All the next movies are Bond when he's in the insane asylum, just imagining <laughs> his life in the future. Well, I think right. Bond, Gordon would probably agree with you when Diamonds Are Forever comes up, which is, of course, the next <laughs> like, film. He's gone nuts, yeah. right? I'm going to be he's honest. He's gone nuts of losing his wife, and he's been taken away in sections, and he's having these wonderful fantasies. Well, listen, man, uh, is the book, you've got to read the books, because it, it really kind of hits Bond hard in the book. Um, uh, but we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're probably, we'll cross Diamonds Are Forever when we come to it, but, you know... For me, um, you know, that it was an absolutely stunning ending. I, f- I feel the series needed that. I think that, and ju- I mean, I'm just trying to, I mean, there's so many other, you know, good, good. We've still got a lot to unpack. There's a, well, I think we should, you know, I think we need to touch on Blofeld as well, because this yep. was, this was the second film where, you know, Blofeld's a lot of screen time. You actually see Blofeld, and it's not Donald Pleasance, it's Telly Savalas, old Kojak himself, you know, and, you know, visually quite different, quite a big, 
burly guy. I, I mean, I thought he was good. I, I found Donald... Uh, Donald. I was about to say Donald... Donald I was about to say Donald Fleming. It was Donald Fleming. Um, I found uh, Donald Pleasance a bit a bit more menacing. I know, I know I, he is a bit kind of cartoon, cartoonish, but... I think um, you're right. I, I feel like Telly Savalas, he was, he was good, but... Um, I think they could have used him better. I actually prefer I I the I. presence of Telly Savalas and his voice and things like that and his look better for Blofeld. However, they also used him so much and in sort of like middle management kind of roles um, (laughs) that uh, kind of took away some of that menace that had been built up over five films. Yeah, what was that course you guys said you did in uni about management and finance? Managerial finance. That's probably what what Telly Savat, well, Blofeld had to do for this film because I mean he was basically, like he was a micromanager wasn't it was like he'd yeah, gone on one of those like... management courses that <laughs> yeah. they send bosses on to make them better managers who's so getting properly stuck in I swear I saw him doing office. the catering in off sort of centre of the screen <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought as well um... interesting choice I don't know why they obviously recast well, we probably should know that but uh, we don't I thought Armour Boon was really good as well it reminded us a bit of Rosa Klebb this, this kind of nasty little um... Miss Trunchbull type character yeah um the sort of like second to the main villain and it was actually her who pulled the trigger and again, you might have noticed the yeah. kill Tracy at the end of it and, yeah. and and you know keep that in mind going to the next few films keep that in mind and again you don't really have a lot of female villains that aren't the love interest which is something that's you know usually he's seduced by a woman who betrays him and she's actually a villain that's usually the only way <clears throat> you know females are villains in the Bond films apart from Rosa Klebb so it was kind of good to have just another plain villainous character from the off and quite an imposing character as yeah. well. I would see, uh, see to go back to the uh, Blofeld casting. I was just reading there that they wanted Telly Savalas originally but couldn't get him. Ah. So they then obviously they got him when they could. But I think, you know, headcanon, you know, the way that people seem to look at it is that Blofeld is, a, is an arch criminal who has access to vast sums of money and plastic surgeons and various people. So he's. I like to imagine that Blofeld has changed his appearance. Yeah. There was mentions of that in the, the novels, wasn't there? That he had the, the resources to do that, you know? And uh, the one change he made that was referenced was randomly, of all places, his earlobes. Yeah. There was a couple that, of references to that. Thing, that was because he, um, the family lineage that he was trying to claim some sort of hereditary right from, that, that was a, a, a sort of a shall we say, an earmark of that yeah. family um, that they they didn't have lobes. Um, but I think I think it's implied that if he's had his lobes chopped off, then he could have his scar fixed or replaced or... Do you know what I mean? That makes sense, yeah. I liked him when he went yeah. to the College of Arms. The reference, I love... Yeah, again, we're going with the continuity of Bond references to past, future films. Mm-hmm. They mention about Bond's family motto being the world's not enough. And of course, we, you know, that was a film way, way later down the line with Pierce Brosnan. And it mentions that being, he does mention that being his family motto in that film as well. Another nice link, mm-hmm. you know. I'm sure the janitor off screen was heard saying Tomorrow Never Dies when he was picking up one of the. <laughs> nah, the well, he whistled Goldfinger. Yeah, that's the same janitor that was whistling the Goldfinger <laughs> theme. That, yeah. was, that was a beautiful little moment. Just, hang on, is that. Oh yeah, that was a great little just little tie-in. There was some great again. I mean, I often my admiration of the Bond films is the you know the the subtler elements. I like you get a, a glimpse into M's private life. Bond goes to his house, a, a hell of a 
amazing house. I'd love to is visit. Admiral, I know he says there's the admiral in it, so it sounds like um I like how with him, although he can he's very firm with Bond and really puts him in his place, he's got that kind of relationship with him. You know you know that they kind of can be um, friendly. It's, it's obvious that Bond's been to his house before because he turns up and he says, "Is the admiral on to his servant?" He knows the guy by name, and I like how he, it's just kind of maybe typical what you would expect with him. Like he's 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 indulging his pastime, which is it's is it lepidology or something? It's called. It's that it's to do with like the study of butterflies, and he's got um you know all, all these these various kind of um preserved butter butterflies and but i love again it shows it's like you know going back to the genesis of bond with ian fleming he, he goes up to m he notices him with the the butterfly and says that that's unusually small for a was an endless polychlorus or whatever you call it yeah what was is that because so he's a not it's the fact bond is this knowledge of everything even like wildlife he, he's always a, a smart ass and you can tell m's a bit <laughs> what was it what was it the yeah. book the, the name james the, the writer Oh, James Bond. What was it? His book was about. Was it something to do with insects uh-huh. or something? Ah, it was a bird, birds bird of the watching. West Indies. So it's, uh, maybe uh, yeah, it's a bit different. A slight reference, but it's good. I like the the glimpse into Dem's private life and the fact that you can tell M doesn't have a problem with Bond just rocking up to his house. Remember, Bond went to obviously the female M with Judy Dench and later with the Daniel yeah. Craig films went yeah. to her house. You know, she wasn't happy. Yeah, yeah but he seemed he seemed okay with that, and I like I like how. At the end of the day, M kind of stands by his man in terms of Bond, you know, being his best Sounds operative. Sounds like they're in a relationship. I don't mean that way, but you can read into that what you want. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It would be very forward-thinking, actually, if yeah. M and Bond got together. Yeah. <laughs> Especially anyway, the <laughs> I, I liked him. I liked also see the wedding. I liked how M was there. You know, at the end of the day, you know, he's he's. Um, you know, trusted colleague. He's a trusted colleague, you know, and I like how although Draco is the, you know, basically a criminal, M's just having a, a glass of champagne with him chatting about some some gold <laughs> I heist. Just, I just realised that that's ridiculous. <laughs> I know it's yeah. good, man. It's yeah. good. I'll arrest you next week. <laughs> uh, that's good. Uh, you know, M, M, and Money Penny and Q all standing together having a, a glass of champagne yeah. at the wedding. That is the point because it's it's, uh, it's nice. It's it's heartwarming. It's a you security know. service operative and a crime family coming together. So that that wedding would have. Yeah. I would have. Why the black guy with a flamethrower that that was that was there? Like, I know. It was the most reluctant clap I've ever seen in my life. All the henchmen there with the and do you think? Do you think uh, maybe you didn't see because it was off camera? Do you think maybe Tiger Tanaka came to his wedding? Like, do you know? What, I mean, <laughs> do, you well, think, he do you think he came in like his wee private train or private plane or something? Or do you think who else could have gone to his wedding? Well, I mean, I kind of wanted the villains to go to the wedding because it's almost uh, like. I think, in a sense, like all of Bond's villains who have survived would respect him. Or what about what about that Polish? They haven't really survived, have they? Yeah, yeah, been boiled yeah. to death. And what else happened to them? Oh, well, I mean, going forever. Felix Leiter got to have been there, surely. Well, he's you not know, a he's, villain. He's he must like, have been. No, at Bond's he, wedding. You what know, was like, the reason? Oh, right. I wonder he, why they like, have Felix Leiter in this there, film. Like, what did Bond stagnate well, like? I mean, <laughs> the rest of the fucking it's probably was just the movie, but um. Felix Slater was was not in the Bond films because he was seen as someone who may be more popular than Bond, especially with that first actor that played him. Remember that um, the guy who was a bit of yeah, a yeah Jack Lord. So I, I think yeah. they've kind of thought. I think they kind of what they didn't want an analog for Bond in the films simply because Bond is supposed to be the the hero, you know. 
Interesting. So, Interesting. I, I know I'm kind of with all these facts. They it's basically because I've got an iPad now and I can just look at things. So. Show off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're kind of getting to maybe closer to the end. We've got a few things still I feel we should touch on before we get to the rating. We haven't touched on the music. I feel love like the point. Yeah, yes, we, we all. I think we all loved the music. Uh, the theme we? for this film, I absolutely loved it. It's I've listened to it once, I think, before with you, Gordon. Maybe did our podcast. I feel now I want to redo those podcasts yeah. now once I've listened to these because yeah, absolutely brilliant, classic sounding Bond theme. Yeah, straight oh, yeah. down the middle. Like uh, uh, no singer to kind of you know, I mean, the singers can be good, but this one it was needed something a bit more sl- just. But you also straight back. Yeah, had all the time in the world by Louis Armstrong. Oh, well. yeah of course that or, for the more sentimental side of the that, film see that instrumental mm-hmm. version of that that to me is almost like even better than what's the one I always ask this question but what's the one that's in Millennium Nancy you Sinatra's twice. You twice, twice yeah. but I think that all the time in the world to me like this film basically had all of my favourite stuff in it like I that's my favourite oh, you, bit of you mentioned they didn't have any of the funny quips that Roger Moore does yeah but I mean even like you know there's caricature bond and there's there's this mm. but like that music I think the the main theme was fine it was good I enjoyed it but that all the time in the world is is a beautiful piece of music I mean it's it's it really conveys the idea of tragedy and I think mm. the you know the general bond theme when it was used I mean it was very subtly brought in at the beginning to sort of connect again the feeling of this is bond you're watching lazy baby he's bond but then the final kind of um the last third when it came in uh-huh. in the main action scene I loved that that was good yeah. because again it always gives me that sort of like yeah. you can feel the sort of goosebumps a little yeah I do feel that I mean I'm, amongst all my various praises for this film the, the the opening gun battle was quite weak for me and that's not you can't exactly blame George Lazenby that it feels like it was cobbled together at the last minute you've got the kind of treadmill effect of him kind of like walking on the spot it's like it's one of these things you would think by the time they got to the Blu-ray DVD the bell way fixing that and the way he, he kind of just turns very abruptly maybe know, that, might be, that might be on Lazenby as well who knows but yeah I, know, I think it's the editing of the you know the gun battle sequence yeah. at the start the only thing the music the music uh, overall was it. good apart from that scene on the beach um, some of the I thought the music was a bit off it was, it was weird, I can't describe it? it it was a bit off I don't mm, know I, I, I thought it, it was good that weird version of the Bond theme it was that the one when he, he's, he's was, punching people and it's like a kind of it sounds like an alarm or something was going off. Do you know what the music like? Did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? Did it? The music was like porno music. Like it was weird. Like what film were you watching? I can kind of agree. There was there was a couple of odd bits. I think when he was driving in the car. You're not thinking Goldeneye, are you? I don't know. But like, but then again, like I can forgive it because the main theme and all the time in the world, all the time in the world, is the greatest Bond theme. The tie back I, to that I, at the really end as well. Actually, because I'm, Which I, one, sorry? I've ruined Bond for myself. Like I can't. Like this is it. I know. I basically, I think, this is peak Bond. I think like, Casino Royale, mate. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think variations um, on a theme, but this is like this is the natural end to Bond's story. Oh well then. I think it's very See much a case of like it's very much it's very <laughs> much higher. <laughs> like Blazing Day. So yeah. God. I wouldn't take the picture deal. Right. That that was quite a hard hitting scene as well when when Bond resigned or I don't know it was as though he he was just throwing his toys out of the pram and pretending to resign knowing that M wouldn't accept it and would reinstate him but I thought that was that was hard hitting the two kind of hard hitting scenes were probably that and also 
way above all the ending when when Tracy's shot. I'm glad as you well. said that. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say yeah. something. Else, those, the those gun, the gun barrel. The death of his wife. I know, but yeah, I think. Um, oh, here, Gordon, we're going to talk about the um, Blofeld app. Yeah, I know. What was that idea? The idea of because um, it was it was because what you pointed out in the film was he gave all the the girls Blofeld his his angels of death. These girls he was getting to it was as though he was getting them to unwittingly release some sort of virus by playing in their fears and their um. <laughs> I mean, what is that plot about? It was, <laughs> it was, it was some sort of it was like radio, a little radio device. It was like when I tell you to, you press this button, which is unbelievable. Up. It's like, yeah. we'll do anything you say, Blofeld, no problem. And we were talking, <laughs> I think Fran pointed out, like, what would that be like in the modern day world? Is like, girls that, like over the tannoy, go to your iPhone, pull out your iPhone, <laughs> download the Spectre app, uh, yeah. press this, say you accept, accept the terms and conditions. <laughs> terms and conditions on that would be 15 pages long and have all sorts hidden in it. Yeah. You will kill people without question. You will blah, blah, blah. That's just Facebook's terms and conditions you're reading. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Zuckerfeld, as we call him now. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, some of these guys do seem like Bond villains, like with the resources they have. Yeah. Think about what Mark Zuckerberg could do if he was really evil. Yeah. <laughs> he could. Well, yeah, there that's we a go. good point, Steve. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, <laughs> no gadgets for Bond. Not even. Oh, yeah. but but I did like the little throwback to the earlier films when he hands in his resignation, and it's listen, man, it's the first time you actually see Bond's office again, which was in the book slot. But anyway, he opens up the drawer and he brings out some of his old gadgets. He brings out the Red Grant's <laughs> watch garret, which he'd kept. He's got the, some knife thing from Doctor No, and he's got he's got something out of Thunderball, and it plays like, bit elements I of the music. That was a throwback. Aye, yeah, if it's it's like four or five of the it's films. It's like Bond aye. clearing out his office. Like, doesn't Bond aye. say to Q as well that he doesn't need gadgets anymore or something? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, they made a comment about it, which is interesting as well. Yeah, I think it's. I liked the tone more or less of this film, and its approach was was definitely um, welcomed after the silliness of You Only Live Twice. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we get to the rating? Don't think so. I'll just give you a big long rating at the end. Yeah, so I'll, so stay, I'll stay silent for now, and then. <laughs> All right, then let's. I'll take up another podcast. Let's get to the rating for this film, Gordon. You can go first this time. Yeah, just get get me out of the way. <laughs> and let, then let me reset before Diamonds Are Forever, because going into Diamonds Are Forever, I'll, I'll be honest, I will, I'll approach that film with a, a completely open mind. I even feel I want to just watch and get out of the way, right? I feel it'll be a sort of liberating feeling watching that film in a lot of ways. Um, I enjoyed this film a lot, okay? Um, I think it's a very, very solid film. I think Lazenby, um, his charisma was great. He... Um, he did everything asked of him. I thought Blofeld was good. I think it was more of a kind of down-to-earth plot. There was ridiculous elements with Blofeld and the virus, but it was getting along the lines of something a bit more plausible than, you know, starting World War Three and you only live twice sort of thing. And, you know, I really admired the references from the past uh, and that how there's references from this that goes in the future. I thought Tracy was a, a, an amazing, incredibly strong character. Uh, I liked her Marbunt, MQ, Money Penny, great performances. I felt, um, I thought, again, Draco was a great, a very, again, one of the more memorable, charismatic allies of Bond, along the lines of, like, you know, Karen Bay 
quarrel. He did um, remind me of Kieran Bay, Felix actually. Light. Yeah, I thought he was great. And again, I love the 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 strength of character bond. I don't need a million pounds, you know what I mean. Um, I thought Blazemi was great in the action sequences. I mean, the the negatives for me. I mean, what does drag the film down? Do you know? Do you know the biggest thing? And we've not really touched on this today. It's the the lack. I talk about continuity, but see the lack of continuity from You Only Live Twice. And the main thing is Blofeld doesn't recognise Bond. He came face to face with him in the volcano. You'll remember, and they both, you know are easily, obviously, quite familiar with each other. And it's as though he doesn't know who... I know Bond's in disguise, but it's like, how did Bond expect him not to recognise him? And he didn't seem to recognise... He was looking for Sean Connery. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, he was looking for Sean Connery. But yeah, I think... And I mean... I'll do. I mean, I'll give you a bit of realism behind that. This was supposed to be the fourth or fifth film in the series, for the reasons I suggested earlier. It get moved back, and apparently they were faced with the situation. They just decided. It, see, the way it was, you only live twice. Came after in the sequence of the novels, so there wasn't the case of let's. He remembers him from you only live twice because that was after on Her Majesty's. So they just decided, just for the hell of it. Let's just act as though he's never seen Bond before. So there was almost like a reset there, which so this that doesn't f- really sit well with me. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's almost like the first reboot in the series, you know, as early as yeah. 1969. But then it's got that same Skyfall kind of feeling where it's constantly can yeah. playing up on the past and riffing a little on little subtle moments. Yeah. So it's kind of a... It's, little yeah you can see where it's 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 torn in two directions yeah i think so i mean that for me is a that drags the film down quite a bit because it clearly wasn't like a full reboot so i find that a bit disappointing and um the what was the other thing i was gonna one or two questionable moments we get these head scratching moments out of various films like for example um blofeld when he's kind of captured Bond and, you know, obviously un, um, unmasked him, he knows it's him and not Sir Hilary Bray, he um, imprisons him in some room that has a clear opening at the end out to, towards the open air and the, the cable car. And, you know, you'd think he'd throw him in some padded cell or something. Again, they throw Bond into a room he can easily escape from, which is just kind of questionable. And on the, on the plus side, though, which, you know, one of the biggest stunts in the film is... You know, Bond, there was some amazing stunt work. First of all, Bond, like, kind of creeping around the sort of the mechanisms for controlling the cable cars. And then on the actual kind of cable cable car wire itself, kind of grabbing along. And some of that was real stunt work by, you know, the real, the real stuntmen. And, you know, back then it was a case of these films, if you can't do it for real then you don't do it. They did these stunts for real. And again, there was loads of that in this film. The skiing stunts were amazing too. One of the... Can you know, that touched on all of that? I actually? know, because I was just going to say, like, see the the um, the main kind of... There was a kind of skier stuntman guy and he came up with this new pioneering technique of, like, skiing backwards down a mountain and filming behind you, you know? And wow. they used that a lot because they were amazing. I, that makes the film for me as well. And the avalanche... The, the avalanche, avalanche real, real, incredible. real avalanche footage wow. as well. I mean, um, that just, was amazing. Uh, I think the the second half of the film is actually where the I think it's some of its best stuff is in that second half. Yeah. Um, before I got my rating, Steve, you wanna are you are you got any more uh, points? Yeah, I'm just get, to, just to sort of like wrap just realize I haven't even got your know, rating. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the longest rating I've ever fucking heard. I know, heard know. it's just, it's not that. You know, you got to get your all off I'm your like, chest. Yeah, uh, I mean to to wrap it up. Um, it's a very solid Bond film. I think in some ways it does miss the charisma of Connery, even when he's not at his best. Yeah. Despite I don't want to sound like contradictory, but I think it was a really solid Bond film. 
and it's a it's a watershed moment Bond film for me, and it's I'll, I'll give it a three. I don't think it's close to being a four, but I'll give it a three, and it's you know very very memorable. And I don't think it deserves the you know the criticism it originally got. So Excellent. there you go. Yep, Steve, we'll come to you then. Cool. Um, I needed this. I think after five very similar films, this was just refreshing. I think it's just what I needed. I was worried because I think the the character change was kind of eating away at me the fact that it was going to be a new Bond I thought this, this these things never work Lazenby pulled it off I genuinely think so yeah um, I think I mean it's impossible not to argue the point that this this is I think possibly the seminal film in that surely this is the point where it becomes personal between Bond and Blofeld for the 100%. past five films yeah. it's been all about the mission it's been about the job but now that he's just killed his wife of literally hours this is surely from here on in it's now it's now bond versus blowfield on a personal level which i think sets things up incredibly well rating wise i think i've been kind of toying with this i think i'm going to go four for this this might be slightly controversial i think that film might have been a little bit too long for me uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not controversial not, it's not so much that it it didn't there weren't long scenes that dragged there was maybe just too much in there um, so it was it was maybe a little long, but you know what? Um, it was it was enjoyable and it was refreshing. It was new, and that ending was absolutely stunning. It hit me properly, and for that, I think it's it's getting a four. I can totally understand that, Stephen. And the, I could tell you were kind of sitting uh, back quietly. I, I felt that you just wanted to get some real criticism off your chest, and you were going to really, really absolutely pound this film. But I really, yeah, I mean. Now I kind of see you were clearly just in a, in a mood you were just to grab the DVD and crush it I know it. like I could, I can see now you were clearly really enjoying that film as I was and, and you know yeah I can totally see that honestly no I, I, I agree with both of your points Fran oh we, we kind of know where, I think I know where yes. he's going yeah I'm going to be the true controversial one here and give it five I think this is like so different from how all the other ones right. have been. Isn't it? <laughs> it is I, I massively. Think, I really think right that. I mean, I'm someone who who writes right. I write stories. I like stories. I like the structure of stories. I like the theory of writing a character arc. And it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a it's it's a really challenging thing to create a realistic arc for a character, right? Where someone is realistic someone is believable and their journey is believable and that there's something at stake and that you actually feel something you know some of the best films we've ever, ever seen things like star wars you know the hero's journey some some of the best films that all of us the entire world remembers are based upon that sort of idea and i feel like unexpectedly this film was bond's journey this was the final chapter of bond's journey of of realising his limits and what it is to be human and what it is to need people. And I really think that everything came together. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. There was stuff that wasn't... The stuff that's outdated, the stuff that was messy. But if you really look... For me, music, the emotion, the story... Everything about it came together perfectly for it to be a five-star film. I'm not sure any of the other ones are going to be a five-star film. I think that... Maybe my perspective on this is slightly different. I don't know, but I really, I really feel that this was as good as it was ever going to get. You sounded quite emotional there. <laughs> Your voice yeah. cracked slightly there. Wow. I think because of I know what it feels like to. I think we all do in some sense. We know what it's like to to unfairly lose something that you feel <clears throat> that you shouldn't. 
you know, at, mm. at the wrong time, and that you that you feel that you've got all the time, but you don't. And I think, all, if we're honest, all of us have experienced something like that in our lives. So yeah, it does. I think it does. Fair play again. I mean, I didn't certainly touch me the same way that you. I, I'm. I bought into the love story. I fell in love with her character, and I could see, of course, why James Bond would. Um, and I think you know supporting cast were great and I, I liked the actual cast change of Telly Savalas as Blofeld and Lazenby given the tough task to become the next James Bond after Sean Connery for five films I think mostly pulls it off um, as best you can there was moments where it didn't work there was dubbed you know points that came across a bit naff there was an accent thing going on that I, I wasn't buying into he didn't have a natural charisma as much as Sean Connery, but again, you know, not many people do. He mostly had the look, and that's what obviously Broccoli and Saltzman saw in him, and they, you know, he, I think he pulled most of it off. The action scenes, more or less, were, were all really exciting. They didn't come in until almost the, the second half of the film. There was a couple of scuffles. He was scuffling a lot at the start, sort of fighting. But then, you know, there was a, an, a ski chase that was quite cool. I think a lot of Bond films have then copied since then and many other films. Uh, Die Hard and things like that. There was the bobsleigh scene, which seemed a bit maybe a bit too silly that was almost that was them um, veering back to the you know you only live twice sort of like his uh, yeah. ar- um, arbitrary <laughs> bobsleigh chase with Blofeld and the worst one of the worst lines of he's branched off uh, the oh the hanging scene yeah I mean I think that almost it, it did falter a little there was moments where it, you know it was doing a lot of great stuff and then it would have a silly moment or a kind of tonal shift wasn't quite there the editing was a little off at points but mostly I enjoyed cinematography setting great we haven't really touched on that the this this the this sort of ski the, um, was it bern switzerland they were in uh, well, it's meant to be set there anyway i think switzerland it was yeah switzerland yeah. yeah yeah so obviously first time in the sort of snowy mountains we've seen we've seen the bond film you know it's used to being the caribbean and all these exotic kind of places so again it was again another side of the exotic stuff i like that so again it was very fresh Tonal shift, music was great. Um, Steve, completely agree with you. This film was too long. I, I did feel that you could have shaved off of it half an hour from this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably some of the stuff with the girls sleeping with them. I definitely feel that jarred with the sort of built-up love story. I think that story would have been so much more emotional for me if Bond hadn't just been sleeping around with a couple of the girls at that resort and then marrying someone within the next few days or whatever. It was all a bit. It's saying he needed to sleep with them to get a key card or something. It's... Fair enough. Like you could, you could see that maybe in some small way he had a but reason. This is down to no writers had a choice. They yeah. could have, if it was in the book, they could have still omitted that. And and if it wasn't in the book, then it was needless because they felt Bond fans need to see Bond sleeping with three different women, that sort of thing. It didn't need. It. This film was trying to be something different. It should have had the courage into really yeah. go for it and yeah. commit to that because yeah. I think that to me would have been much more impactful and it's obviously a shame that they didn't this film's budget was less than the escalating films that had been up to like 10 million by uh-huh. the time you only have twice this one was down to 7 million they might have expected that it might not have made as much and of course it didn't so they obviously probably veered back to the, the well they, they actually got Sean Connery for the next film and kind of that silliness started then to ebb in but much more they went in the other direction with Roger Moore so it's the last time that 
it might not be the last time I might watch one of the more films and see a more grounded film again, but this might be the last one that's got a kind of more straight, kind of forward feeling to it. Mm. A seriousness, a sentimentality, certainly. So yeah, overall, I would give it a three. Three stars. But with Gordon, similar, I can see many reasons why it would be a four. Um, what about a five? No, I, it, there's too many things that I've, uh, bugged me that it couldn't be a five. I've see, got... that's the weird thing is that Usually I'll rate things, like I'll take away a star based on things, but it's almost like the film had seven stars in my mind and then it took two off and it became five. Do you know what I mean? It's weird to say. It's like, I I don't know how to say it. It's almost these things, rating films and things like that. This film has really surprised me. I have never felt this way. Yeah, because my next question was for for all three of you. Were you you surprised in the way in which this film succeeded? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I I have not been more surprised the entire time I've done this podcast. Yeah, with films I've rewatched, films I've seen, like I, I have never been this surprised. Were you surprised, Steve? To what extent did this film succeed? Because well, was this not back? No, no, I sorry. So I don't mean like commercial. I mean in terms in of like, are you surprised? Are you surprised like how much you enjoyed the film? Would you say yes? I gen because I like I said, I went into this particularly with the change of actor. I went into this thinking I don't think this is mm. going to be as good. And it, it actually it, it had the complete opposite effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I should have rephrased. Yeah. What I mean was just like because critically you, at the time you... this was one of the yeah. probably the weakest one. Yeah, it didn't because it didn't do well. Yeah. And yeah. it's only through Bond fans reevaluating over the years that built up actually a kind of a cherished love for it that people appreciate and they're seeing all these things. And I think it's more to do with the fact that it got so silly by Diana Lod- Diana um that people start to appreciate where Bond was a bit more straightforward action film with some espionage and this kind of catered more to that and it also had the drama element to it which Bond never really mm-hmm. really got after that um, yeah, so it really mattered sentimentality I think that was some of the things that, that a lot of people now appreciate and that was 1969 it's which incredible. is kind of cool I mean I think really what this film was all about was that sometimes you can make no mistakes and still lose and I think that's something that speaks to a lot of people Sometimes you can do everything the way that you're supposed to and it still goes wrong, you know? And that's something really realistic and really, really important. All right. Uh, I think we're done for talking about Ohed Shave Mehwes. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, so, uh, wow, ratings all around. Four, threes, three and a five. That's... We're, it's interesting because the first few, Gordon, you were, of course, the higher ones. You've got a big love for those early films. And I was kind of almost with you. And most of them, you two, Fran and Steve, Caution. were kind of the, the middle threes and early fours for Goldfinger. And now it's, well, we're all going we're in different directions. Direct. I, just, I yeah. can see where this is going. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really exciting. In, in some way for me, I was also going to say that this film, it, it's it sticks out it felt different the same way as License to Kill felt different when it came out true it feels yeah. like a serious film right mm. it's weird I don't know how else to say this like say um, like you get serious kind of arty books and films don't you that have really deep meanings to them and it feels almost like Bond has transcended itself like I mean I, I'll be talking and thinking about this film a lot more after this podcast that's why, <laughs> that's why I wish the sort of jarring silly plot behind it all I wish was completely different I know that again it's probably from the books as I've said before but if they'd made it a bit more uh-huh. just it would be perfect. you know I, I don't know what kind of plot they could easily do a hijacking or something but the reason they're all there but something different than 
that virus and uh, uh, hypnotherapy and all this nonsense. Yeah. It would have been... That's, yeah, that's, all, that's all just chaff, man. That's all just the stuff that's yeah, but there it's to part hold of the story film. together. And I, I agree with you. I think that if those things were changed, it would have been... It could have been the quintessential Bond film, right? If If those bits were fixed. But the rest of it is still good enough. Do you know what I mean? There's half of a... I'll put it this way. There's half of a five-star movie in this if you ignore the other bits. Like, that's the way I'm looking at it. Like, <laughs> there's half of a... Fa- <laughs> right. Okay. It's yeah. so good. It's so good that it, it, it that's the way it is. Yeah. But, like, I totally agree with you. Like, I don't want you guys to think that me giving it five stars means that I don't think that your criticisms are valid. No, I think it's... You see the criticisms, but you were so Im- Im- taken in by the emotion of the film uh-huh. that it overwrote all of those uh-huh. criticisms yeah. and that's usually how films are so different and everyone can say what a five star film is and critics can all agree on something but yeah, in the end it's about how it affects yeah. you I mean I don't think a five star film is beyond criticism yep okay so. alright um, I'll wrap up although we didn't speak about latest Bond news is there something is there anything we know about from the late latest um, Bond I was that, wondering no that. time to die I should have done it earlier I, I think, think they've I think the, the only real thing released I can footage think of, I think hang on let's have a look there, there is a there's a teaser trailer quite a short one it doesn't give much away and they, they seem to have wrapped up filming in Jamaica for me the, I like the fact they're going back to Jamaica where it all started mm. with Doctor No but I don't, I don't want a direct Doctor No reboot I, no. Want, I want something kind of original but I like what I'm hearing so far definitely uh, um, Aston Martin Super Laguerre. Well, let's cut down on the. Film. Let's not overuse the Aston Martin again the way they did in other recent, you know, Daniel Craig films, especially Skyfall. I think it's kind of had its day. You so know? is Aston Martin? I mean, I've never really felt that way about it. Is it seen as like two like massive twists? Like, is it in loads of? I always thought it was in every film. So I, part one after it got introduced. So obviously, it's actually more just Goldfinger and a snippet of Thunderball, and then I mean, is it? It's used in the the Moore film, surely. No, it's not. Is is it it, not? I mean, that that was why it worked. You know, it was a it was a product of its time. And you know, I I could live with the the short sequence in Goldeneye tomorrow never dies, but let's not make it become a a pastiche. You know, of making new Bond films. Well, they have to stop looking back. And I think I would have thought with Phoebe Waller Bridge coming on board that it's going to be a, a sort of more changing with the times type film. But having the the skill is able to do it and still feel like a Bond film, which is I'm why I'm so intrigued about this film. Okay, then if there's not much more we've got on that, we can end this podcast. Way we've done it. We're going to be way into the one hour and a half again. Um, that was an epic. That's gonna, I think. I think we're going to have to accept that we've got so much to say on these films that we're going to they're going to get longer than shorter. I think this, I, yeah. I'm going to say this. I think this has been one of the best discussions. I think so. I it's think been an eye opener, and I'm pleasantly surprised. You know, you guys have positive feelings about this film as well. You know, because there's so many people that they'll they'll take a simplistic look. Or it's not Sean Connery. I mean, I, I don't buy into that at all. If um, it was me, you know, 20 years ago when I was a youngster and just wanting sort of golden eye light or whatever, I would have probably had that opinion because I didn't understand what a director's intention was and why a tonal shift here and there and the sentimentality stuff would have been over my head. I wouldn't have cared. So I would have been bored stiff with this film, which I um, I did give it a pass for so many years and only watched it. So it's now with that kind of appreciation, I can, I, I, I'm, I'm more mature, I can appreciate these kind of things and that's why it is the kind of film you can imagine, you can see why cinema goers at the time didn't take it as well as 
Because especially if you're a youngster and you're used to all the gadgets and all the cars and all the craziness. And, you know, a, a love story is probably not what young boys were probably caring about at that point. Yeah, that was their target audience. they at the end as well. I mean, imagine yeah. coming out after that thinking, fucking hell, Bond's crying. And then that's it. <laughs> and like, what is true? Yeah. But, like, it's, that, that's why it's a franchise film it works. Ah, yeah. Taking as part of a, one and a whole section of films, you know, you can have whatever you go to for Bond. There's certain films that will cater to your interests, but... For us, evaluating the film... Yeah. My, my dad had that with Star Trek. He went to see Star Trek 3 and the Enterprise got blown up and Spock died and everything happened and my dad came out crying. Wow. <laughs> like, upset because he went on a date with my mum. Like, that was one of the dates he went on and my mum was like, yeah, your dad was crying after that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, he was so... He, like, I can imagine real Bond fans would have been like devastated like I remember that actually when I went to see Star Trek Generations Kirk died every single Bond podcast no, seems to have Star Trek it's mentioned. a franchise like it's the only way I can identify with it like is that I went as a kid to see another franchise and I came out of Kirk dying in Star Trek Generations in 1994 and I was crying I was upset spoiler so for I you guys if you ever watch Star Trek Generations <laughs> any kids that go and see, went to see this film that were into Bond probably would have been deeply upset okay we're done. <laughs> no, we're not. Get Stop out of my house. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for coming. This has been awesome. Uh, Bond Daft Podcast will return for Diamonds Are Forever. And Gordon's... Ha- <laughs> Face in his hands. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you okay, Gordon? I'm good. Uh, we'll see how I am in the day. I, just, I feel it's one of these things I just got to get out of my system. It's just something I've got to do. Yep. On that, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.